And once we get that right, which is for me the most important thing, that they have, first of all, respect. The second one is commitment. The third one, passion. Those three ingredients are non-negotiable. Hello and welcome into the Non-Negotiables podcast. I'm Gavin and I'm here tonight with Justin. Hello, Juz. Hey. And welcome back, Pascal. How you doing, Paz? How you doing, uh, Gav? All good? Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Well, we're here tonight after a brilliant win at Newcastle the weekend, slaying some slaying some more demons from last year. thought it was an excellent game, so let's get stuck into it. Um as soon as you're back, we'll, we'll start with you. Uh, the lineup only changed Martinelli in for Trossard, meant Kivior and Jorginho kept their places. Um, I think kind of what we expected, me, me and Jazz were saying last week, we, we thought that Martinelli would come back. We were just trying to guess which one of the other two would, or, or other three would sit out, and it, it turned out to be Trossard. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not that I think Trossard has done anything wrong, but um, maybe it's just more of a um keeping Martinelli fresh as well because um I don't think anyone can fault his performances over the last few weeks but um yeah besides that I think that was uh, there was not nothing unexpected I think uh Jorginho merited um a starting place after I thought he played well against Chelsea and I think if you're the same so um it, it was really kind of nothing unusual in that starting starting lineup no um just so with Martinelli coming in and looking at that front three, I think we've we've felt the whole way along that the front three is the front three, and it's really nice to have someone as good as Trossard to come in and spell one of the three. But I think that front three is the first choice front three, right? I, I don't think there's an argument for Trossard actually replacing any of them on a full time basis. Yeah, no, I don't think so. That is the front three. It's been the front three almost every time, unless someone just kind of needs to be, you know, cycled out. And uh, yeah, having a player as good as Trossard that can fill in for any of those three is is huge. You know, something that we uh, we definitely missed in the earlier part of the season for from like a rotation standpoint. So, yeah, it's great to have someone like that coming in. Past the um, the atmosphere was kind of what we expected it to be. Right, it was raucous. They were up for it. We figured they would be. There's really not much to play for at this stage. They're gonna finish top four. They were never going to jump us. But for them, there's the motivation, obviously, to always beat the Southern Softies, but also to beat the team that's sitting in front of them in the table. Yeah, they, they have some momentum going into that game. Uh, they, they, they'd actually um, been in some good form. Uh, they got to draw up the Emirates. So I think um, for them as well, probably there's this, yeah, the Southern Softies side of it, but there's also this element of wanting to feel that they are now amongst the elite teams with that, you know, deep pocket owners that they have. Um, and um, I, I think that that was also maybe part of their mindset just to get one over us to show that they are also amongst the top teams in the top form. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was a raucous atmosphere. It was intimidating. But uh, nothing we haven't seen before. I think sometimes it's a little bit overhyped. The uh, the um, uh, the Geordie. I, I don't know. I just feel there's a little bit of overhyping about how passionate they are. Yeah, I get that, but I don't. I don't see any 
difference in some other clubs, like going to Crystal Palace is also raucous and uh, can be a difficult um, uh, stadium to play in and stuff like that. So I don't think it was anything out of the norm. But yeah, of course, they were on a bit of a bounce from previous games. Well, they've been playing so well. I mean, you know, they mm. put the five past West Ham. They put, was it six they put past Tottenham in the end? Was it five yeah. or six? Wasn't it within so, 20 minutes? <laughs> they were five up in 20 minutes, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they, they'd had a few good results recently and they were definitely, um, they definitely came into it full of confidence. Mm. And just that first 10 minutes, they pushed higher, they pressed higher and they created a couple of chances and we we were kind of rocking. Yeah, I think we we got caught out a little bit, you know, right at the beginning of the game, which, which seems to be a little bit of a trend for us. I don't know if it, it it takes a couple minutes for the guys to, you know, like snap into the game or whatever. But uh, yeah, they had some really good chances uh, to start the game. And it, it definitely had me a little nervous, but it only took a, a little while for us to start having more control. Yeah, Murphy hit the post in the, in the first minute um, and then they had the penalty that wasn't. Jazz, what did you see with that penalty? I think the <laughs> the handball rule has been like so open to interpretation all season, man. You know, if it was a penalty, I, you know, I'm not going to act like, you know, I know it's in Kavanaugh's head or whatever. It looked like it came off his thigh to me. Um, of course, I was, you know, hoping that way. And uh, that's, that's, you know, how they ended up ruling it. But, you know, they're, it's all over the place. I wouldn't have been surprised if it was a pen either. Yeah, I thought once it was given, I was kind of surprised it was overturned. I, I get they're saying it hit the top of the thigh, which I think it probably did, but you needed 15 replays for it. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure that that should be handball regardless. He's got his arms down by his side. They're not outstretched, but I can see why you give it. I think it's just one of them that's 50-50. Sometimes you get them and Sometimes you don't, and and this one, the uh, the ref giveth and the VAR taketh away. But I'm not going to complain at the at the VAR coming down on our side for once. So we'll uh, we'll take it. Um, Paz, even during that first ten minutes, or especially during that first ten minutes, really when they came out like a train, they were leaving some serious gaps because of how high they were pressing, and it always looked like if we could basically break through that first line we were really going to be able to turn and get at that get at that defence. And Zinchenko had already, he misplaced one early when he was trying to break the lines. But then as soon as we started to break the lines and we started to move further forward, they were pretty much on the ropes from about from about 12 minutes in. Yeah, and then and obviously Odegaard being crucial to that as well in, in terms of pulling the strings. Um we know. Uh, I think what what was what was quite noticeable is that even though we were under the cosh the first ten minutes or so, we didn't try and deviate from our game. Um, we our, our game plan of playing from the back and and trying to trying to keep the consistency of that because it's easy to to kind of deviate from it or go into another rhythm of play. Um, when your backs are against the wall, but we kept to that, and I think there was just a little bit of. I think we were up against it a little bit nervy, uh, but once we settled down, um, we started to, as you mentioned, we started to find gaps in their press uh, and we're able to exploit that really well. Um, and of course, with our two wingers, um, it's just even more uh, dangerous on the break. Um, and uh, and yeah, it, it started to pay dividends. 
Odegaard's goal was uh, kind of a carbon copy of the one against Spurs, really. I mean, he took it early, yeah. he did it low and hard into the bottom corner. A daisy mm. cutter uh, pass. He's been working. On, he's been working on that clearly because he's not afraid to take that shot on. Last season, we were all wishing he'd just shoot a little bit more. Yeah, and and um, you know, forgive me if I've got this wrong. Is I think is it fifteen goals he's got? Is he level with Martinelli? Fifteen goals, all from open play. The uh, the tied for the most ever by a midfielder with non penalty goals with uh, Kevin De Bruyne a couple of years ago. It's, that's a pretty remarkable turnaround, isn't it? If you think about it from what it was last year and and what the insistence was for him to shoot more. Um, so we know he's got a shot on him because we know what his play is outside of shooting and how how influential he is. Once one, we were, I think the thought process is once he can get his shots in order and get a few goals, he's going to be so dangerous. And you can see that now. He's not scared to shoot from outside the area. He's not scared to, um, you know, take on players himself and then go for a shot. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's his turnaround has been remarkable. I think we sit here at the end of the season and talk about players of the season. I think we've got a difficult challenge ahead of us because he's definitely in that that category. He's been absolutely phenomenal. And that first half was just sensational from him. It really was, and I don't actually think it's that difficult because I think he's quite far clear. I think Ramsdale and Saka mm. are obviously going to need some, uh, going to need to get some recognition, and so is Granite Shaka. Um, but I, I actually, I, I think Odegaard has had such a good year. I, I mean, I still think he's the player of the year in the Premier League. Um, it is going to go to Erling Haaland, and I get, I get that. But as a, as a footballer, as the, the player who's had the most impact on his team. I, I do think Odegaard is the is the player of the year still. And he was You don't think Bruno Fernandez? Yeah I, you know, I've enjoyed Bruno Fernandez season. <laughs> I, I really have. I mean I think he's cried four times so far. He was crying again. Uh he was crying again after the West Ham game, which I I love it when his eyes go all red. And he looks yeah. you know when he's you can tell that he's been crying because obviously he's a measly little bitch. And you yeah. can tell that he's been crying, his eyes go red, and I, I really do. Well, well, if you had a face like that, you wouldn't have much to cheer about, would you? You think someone just showed him a mirror? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the thing is, is the solace he has if he scores a goal or Man United win, he can he can override his looks. But when they're playing badly and he has looks like that, it's just, it's just a, an absolute, you know, it's compounding the misery, isn't it? I can see that point of view. <laughs> Just so back to Erdegaard. Um he was uh, he was instrumental, like Pass said, in in us taking control, and we really did get a grip of that game. And that midfield three, I, uh, you know, my feelings on Jorginho are well known. I thought he had a very very good game this weekend. I thought he was excellent up there. I thought he kept the ball well. He set the tempo well. There was a couple of times he got run off, um, which is always going to happen. But I, I thought he was he was really excellent. That midfield really, really took a grip on that game from about 10 minutes on. Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, I think a, an added benefit of, of Odegaard scoring so many, like, outside-the-box goals this year is that that back line is going to, you know, we have we have Xhaka that can hit him. Uh, I don't want to include Party in that, but Jorginho's had one from long distance and Odegaard those uh, opposed opposition back lines are going to have to start stepping to the shooters a lot more. Um, and that's gives... something we've worked on, Jazz, isn't it? Because we've talked about that before, the amount of goals we do get from outside of the area. Yeah, definitely. It, it definitely looks like uh, it's something we've worked on. And I mean, Odegaard's just, you know, he's come on leaps and bounds in it. 
but I think that's going to be really beneficial to the front three having the defensive line step to them. We we created quite a bit in that first half. Um, we had we had a lot of chance. I thought it was a brilliant game actually, but that first half I thought in particular was was excellent. And it's weird. I saw a lot of discourse online saying Zinchenko had a bad game. I I thought he was excellent. And I think when we go through these chances, we'll 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 see it because he was involved in everything. I think he had a hundred touches again, and he completed he completed like ninety six percent of his passes or something like that. I think there's two moments in the game: the early giveaway and when he fell over um, when he slipped in the area early in the second half when Isaac hit the post. I think those cloud people's view of of what he actually did because he's passing between the line. And I mean, remember he went off on like sixty five minutes. But his passing between the lines was was fantastic. I mean, we had the the chance for Martinelli, which started with Zinchenko breaking the lines for Erdegaard, and Erdegaard's brilliantly weighted pass, and Martinelli just got a toe poke on it, and Pope made a great save. And then Saka went through after that, and it was more good work from Zinchenko to find Shaka, and Shaka through that time. Um, Pass, what did you what did you make of that? Um, I I didn't I didn't think he was. I don't think he was bad. I think I think the questions are more on the defensive side of him. I, I don't think it's it's anything to do with the offensive side because his um as you mentioned, his touches, his passing, his involvement in play. But I think there can be times when, especially the time when he, he um when Isaac hit the post. I think that time of the game, I think we saw it against um so to refresh my memory when he got turned. Was it West Ham? Well he got he got run past, didn't he, with that the ball through against Chelsea. I think he's probably the one you're thinking. It was basically a carbon copy of Walcott's goal for Southampton when the ball got played kind of through yeah. Gabriel. And it was the same thing for the Chelsea goal. It got played through Zinchenko in the same. But there was um I think it was Liverpool. Was it Liverpool? Oh, Liverpool's when Alexander Arnold nutmegged him. It, correct. So there is a point in the game, it seems that there's a trend. The Liverpool one I'm talking about primarily Chelsea perhaps as well, because that was second half, I think, where he seems to get lack a little bit of concentration in the defensive side of his game. And that probably explains why Teta has been taking him off after 60, 65 minutes, um, just to add that little bit more of strength in the defence and a bit more concentration defensively. Because I think we all know what he offers offensively. And in fact, the offensive side is crucial to our game and our build-up play. I just think sometimes he gets a little bit you know, it could be fatigue, whatever it is, but there seems to be a little bit of lapses from the defensive element. But I don't think his game was terrible. Um, I think people notice that on the defensive side of him and then sum up and say he's had a bad game. But you can't do that because, as you mentioned, there are other parts of his game where he's very influential in our team. So I wouldn't say it was a bad a, a bad game, but what I would say is I do think the sub wasn't a bad sub either. I think it was done at the right time. And those two chances I just talked about, past the Martinelli one and the second yeah. one, when they, they both went clean through. I think Pope has, has done brilliantly on both of them. I thought they were two excellent saves that he made. And I thought the Martinelli one especially, he was forced to take it a little bit earlier than I think he wanted to, just because of the pressure he was under to get the poke away. Um you still need to be scoring them one-on-ones though, right? I mean, we had three of them. We'll come to the third one in a little bit, but we had three of them one-on-ones in that first half that we didn't take. And those things can cost you. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Martinelli one, um, 
was was I, I for me the Saka one was more of an opportunity really he should have he had enough time to think about it. he seemed like he scuffed the shot slightly or the shot was very close to Pope he could have hit it low and hard and obviously to either corner um, but th- that that is the concern sometimes that when we are on top in a game like this one. Um, we're not putting the game to bed um, by getting the second goal or maybe the third goal um, because we did have chances to do that um, uh, throughout the game. And I think I think you'll probably get on to it, but Odegaard also had a, a, a clear-cut chance just before half-time. Yeah, and in between, in between that, after the, uh, the Saka chance, after like, us really dominating that kind of 20-minute spell, we probably should have been three up. We almost got pegged back because Isaac went down the left and kind of twisted Ben White a little bit. And Jorginho just, Willock just just ran past Jorginho and he just couldn't keep up. And that ball came inside. And Ramsdale made a really good save with his legs. Just that's a, that was a worrying moment considering the way the game had gone. It's one of them where you think if they get it, it's going to really change the game and really, really put us under the cosh. Yeah, it was a brilliant save by Ramsdale. And, uh, so I, I missed the game live. I wasn't able to watch when it when it aired. And when I caught highlights a little bit later, I was um it seemed like it was leaning way more towards Newcastle. Some of their chances were 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 really good, I thought. And uh I mean Ramsdale just had a, a like a monster game as far as saves. Um It's actually, funny how they carved up them highlights though, because I watched the highlights again later. And the highlight package I watched was NBC's highlight package. They didn't even include the Martinelli chance in that highlight package. I don't quite know how they managed to cut it the way they did because it definitely didn't show the dominance that we had during that game. Yeah, I think the NBC one is the one I watched too. And I, um, when I was able to watch the full game later, yeah, I think the first Martinelli 1v1 with the keeper wasn't in there. So yeah, really weird stuff. But but yeah, Ramsdale, he, he made some really like just monster saves. And I think... Um, you know, kind of going up against Pope too, he did look the stronger keeper, I think, especially after Pope let in the uh, the Odegaard one. Um, but yeah, great game from him. I thought both keepers had excellent games as well. I think at the time when that goal went in, I looked at Pope and I was like, oh, you're going you're gonna to really not want to see that back. But when you look at it again, I believe it was Botman's legs that it went for about 10 yards out. And he was really unsighted. And I think with the other saves that he made, it's kind of, it would be... It would be harsh, I think, to blame him for that. It was a good strike. It was in the corner. And he just, I, I think he was unsighted as much as anything else. But he, he made some great saves. And I thought the next one that we're going to talk about, does is the Odegaard one right before half time, And that is, I think this is a fantastic save. The ball comes across and Odegaard, and you think he's going to score. And I, I really think it was a it was a fantastic save. Yeah, that one was, I think... Um... This is Odegaard's 1v1, right? He got stopped. Okay. Yeah, right. Like in, on 50 minutes. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I think he just, you know, scuffed the shot a little bit, Odegaard. I mean, he's taking it with his off foot, and uh, I don't think he gets it as accurately as he wanted to into, like, either side. But no matter what, it's it's a brilliant save by Pope. I mean, it was it was close distance, and even though Odegaard didn't get a ton on it, he got enough. Um, yeah, that was a great save. Pass. The reason we had all that injury time, um, Liver, um, Newcastle took, um, let's call it an industrial approach to this game. I think it was quite clear that there is a 
big gap between these two teams. I think, is it 15 or 16 points? But I think in talent-wise on the pitch, there is quite a big gap. And Newcastle did what they could to bridge that by being overly physical. And that's kind of how they play. And it is it's incumbent on the referee to sort that out, right? Like Newcastle were entitled to do that, but the referee should be be stamping that out. We we had some, Shah in particular had a couple. We had a really late one on Shaka where he actually took out Jesus and Shaka on the half hour that he was allowed to get away with. The elbow into, into Jesus in the second half was ridiculous. I mean, how VAR doesn't do anything with that, I don't know. Guimaraes, I think he must have he must have made sixty fouls on the day. Uh, the stamp on Saka's Achilles was particularly nasty. I mean, he could have been booked in the twelfth minute when he when he threw uh, threw Jesus down to the ground as he beat him, and then his late foul on Jorginho on the hour was pretty bad. Burn went late through on Saka. Has if Newcastle were everyone's second team in the late nineties, they're quite easy to dislike now. Absolutely. I mean, it starts with their ownership, doesn't it? That you're, you're not particularly uh, uh, likable um, with, with the way their ownership is um, and what's behind that. But um, as a team, I mean, it wasn't as they, they, they were time wasting. They were physical at the Emirates. Um, they made that game. The reason that game was nil nil was purely because of them, because they, they were stopping play. They were um, up to dirty tricks. Uh, and they kind of continued that trend, um, maybe not so much of the time wasting because they were losing for most of the game, but um, a lot of it was more um, just just this kind of dirty side to their game. I can't I can't sit here and and just criticize. And I think I go, it goes back to your point. I can't criticize them so much because they're getting away with it. It's a bit like ref um, goalkeepers at time waste. The the refs are deciding that that's okay, and they want to take that. Um, kind of Mike Riley approach um, for the Arsenal-Man United game um, uh, 2004, then, then what can you do? They're, they're going to they're continue doing it. They're going to continue do, uh, playing that way. They're going to continue winding us up. They're going to continue um, coming in with strong challenges because it was crazy. I, I don't know how many yellow cards were in that game, but I think the first one was really quite late. It was in the second half. Yeah, it was the, oh, like an hour. And didn't he book both players? Was that um, he booked both players? I think just there, the Newcastle. Did Shaw get one just before that? Yeah. There, oh, we didn't get any yellows. We didn't? I thought we had no. one where he booked both players for a coming together for some reason. And I think Shaw got one for the foul on Jorginho, right? After, on like the hour. Yeah, I think I, you're right. I, and I know he got that. And then Dan Byrne on Saka. Yeah, and that was a nasty one too. Yeah. Dan Byrne uh, yeah. on Saka was a and, and that just shows you it took them that long to decide to give out a yellow card. Um, so if, if that's how the referee is going to play the game, then the team knows this. They know they can start getting away with it. But what I was quite impressed with going linked to that was our reaction to it. I don't think – I think Shaka is learning, has learned now how to – he can – show he's there, put himself about, not be messed around, but he does it in a way I feel, which is a little less, which is a bit more um, covert than perhaps he used to do, uh, getting himself booked. Um, and I, I thought we handled ourselves well. We didn't let them bully us. They wanted to, they kept on trying to, but we didn't let it happen. 
Um, and um, but but the only concern is, is that an injury can happen at any point with the kind of tackles that they were doing. If the referee is just going to let that go by, and we've seen it, we've seen it plenty of times where refs let it go, let it go, let it go, and it, it happens a lot of the time where the less technical team, shall we say, are allowed to get away with a lot more than the more technical team because it's seen as almost their way of levelling up the game, right? Oh, well, that's how they play. I mean, it used mm. to be with Burnley all the time. Well, you know, we know that they're throwing elbows and, and going in late and leaving a bit on, but hey, it's Burnley and that's how they play. And I kind of felt it was a bit like that on uh, on Sunday. Um, just the Joe Linton and Guimaraes, I mean, I don't know how many fouls they committed between them, but like I said... There's rules in place for this, right? We have rules for persistent infringement that can be booked. And we've got VAR. And VAR took a long look at the Shah one on Jesus. And if that's not a red card, I don't know where the bar is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like both of you said, you know, I mean, they're they're within that right, their right to try to play that way. It's up to the ref to sort it out. And, you know, it... If, as long as they're going to keep getting away with it, you know what I mean? They're going to keep doing it. Um, I stopped trying to, you know, lambast the uh, the players here. It's just the, the refereeing situation. I mean, we know how bad it is. We talk about it all the time. Um, going back to what Paz said, though, I, I do think Xhaka deserves some flowers, right? Have you noticed that he uh, puts himself out, but he never gets wound up anymore? It all seems so controlled and methodical. He doesn't walk the line anymore. He drew it. It's his <laughs> line, basically. And yeah, I, yeah, I think you, you've got to be you've got to be impressed by that. I mean, in in a WhatsApp group, I mean, someone wrote on there, "Oh, I, I think maybe we should take Jacker off because um, he's going to get a yellow card, and then we're in trouble." And I said, "Well, first off, he's never been sent off for two yellows, so if he gets a yellow, I'm not actually that bothered about it. But secondly, he's not the one." Stepping over the line. If anything, Jesus was even more wound up than Jacker was going into half time. Yep, I agree with that. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's just great to see. I mean, he he's he's just done so much better, and I I actually enjoy watching him. You know, play these games now, where it used to always stress me out. You know, I think having Jesus there is a is a big thing too. I mean, there was a bit where Jacker went down on the on the edge of the box after about half an hour, after about the fourth whack he'd taken, I think, and. And um, Callum Wilson was trying to get in his face and you saw Big Gabby step across immediately and Ben White was there. And I love that kind of togetherness. And then there was another one about five minutes later and, and, and Gabriel Jesus comes all the way from the back to get in front. I mean, he's he's got a bit of shit out about him, Jazz, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I, I love how much, you know, um, anytime there's any kind of altercation, the team just seems so together. You know what I mean? Like, like really, really unified. And it, it, I mean, it's great to see, man. Yeah, so the second half pass, um, it started kind of the same way the first half did. And and there was a little bit, we were under pressure a little bit straight away. We had what we were talking about before, where where Murphy kind of turned Zinchenko a little bit. He slipped, got the cross in, Isaac heads it off the post. And then Trippier put in a free kick, and, and he's a prick, that guy. Um, but he put in a free <laughs> kick, and Shaw with a good header, and Ramsdale made a, made a fantastic save from that header pass. Yeah, yeah, absolutely superb. Um, his his uh, Ramsdale's reflexes are phenomenal. We've seen that, and especially from um, 
from uh, uh, you know from short distances. It, it, it's incredible how he how his reflexes are. He also puts a strong hand on it as well. Um, well, this I is noticed. what I was going to bring up, Paz. What I what I like about him, and I've said this mm. I've said this the other week, is that when he pushes the ball out, the ball goes out. He doesn't Correct. push the ball out in front of him. And this one, because of because it was so close to him, because of how he had to react, there was no chance of him getting that ball wide, right? Like he just couldn't. There's no way he could get it wide from where it was. So he got it up. He got it up yeah. and out. And Zinchenko wins the header. And Zinchenko was brilliant in the air all afternoon. I think he won just about every ball that, that went up. But Ramsdale got a really strong hand on it, got it up. And what that meant was even if Zinchenko hadn't have won that header, by the time that ball come down, Ramsdale was back up again. That's it, exactly. So that that was a, a prime example of, of how he is able to not only save it, but more or less prevent the follow-up happening as well. So uh, I, 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 was, I, I thought he was absolutely fantastic yesterday. And I think that's just another, you know, you think of that 30 million price tag that we paid for him. It looks like an absolute bargain right now, doesn't it? When you think of... Uh, what what others have paid for goalkeepers, but yeah, it was it was a fantastic save, absolutely brilliant, absolutely. And you know, Man United and and Tottenham, we've we've talked about this. They've got such a problem in goal where they can't they they've got goalkeepers that don't come off their lines. They've got goalkeepers that can't play with their feet, and it's such a limiter for them. And they must be looking at Ramsdale and thinking, Jesus Christ, where do I find one of them? Mm. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, even Pope has a problem with that. Um, he's a great shot stopper. We saw that in the game, but he's not good on his feet. And I think there was a, a, a moment in the first half where he nearly, nearly gave the ball away to uh, Saka. It just missed him. But he's another one that's not very good with his feet. It, it, it's beyond me how he's not England's number one because it's not just about the saves. It's about the distribution. He can really start the attack going. He's great at that. But... Um, yeah, it, it's, again, testament to our um, staff, uh, scouting staff and uh, the management to have located him at a time when really we would never have got a better price for him when you consider where he is now. So, Jos, we were under the cosh for a little bit. We had that great save from Ramsdale and then we started to settle down and get to grips on it again. And there was very nearly a brilliant goal from Martinelli, the little bender towards the top corner that just flicked off the top of the bar. It would have been great to see that one go in. Yeah, uh, great chance. Um, I uh, I was really hoping that one would go in. It, w- it was really nice. But yeah, good play all around. Um, just a shame that damn crossbar got in the way. And then on the hour, we have possibly the moment of the game. There's uh, a move starting from the back where they're bringing it out. I think Dan Byrne moved with it, moved it, moved it to the left to Isaac. They came in. It comes for Willock. Willock pulls back his right foot. He's just about to score. And Granite Xhaka has come from 70 yards away, somehow caught up, slid in, and got the block on it. That's as good as a goal, Just Yeah, it was brilliant. It was one of my favorite parts of the game. Um, and, man, you know, Xhaka doesn't look, you know, like half as slow or immobile as he has in previous years. It's like, yeah, he's having a great season, but it's like everything about him just seems sharper and faster. The the run to cover so much ground, the timing, it was it was a highlight of the game for sure. And from that from that minute on, we were we were just always in control. And 
has the second goal, that run from Martin. First off, it was very well done from Kieran Tierney stepping in. Who Again, I agree with you. I thought he had a really good game when he came on, did everything he was asked asked of him. And he stepped in front and he plays it to Martinelli. And Martinelli, 70 minutes into a game where he hasn't stopped running, goes 70 yards with the ball. He does that Beardsley shimmy at Newcastle. Did you did you notice that? The change of feet, the little swing yeah. of the hips. And he goes yeah. again. And it just it looked like Peter Beardsley, just not as ugly. And he gets that ball across with, with his left foot. And Charles got nowhere to go with it. I mean, it, it doesn't help that he's got hooves for feet because he's a fucking donkey. But he's got nowhere to go with it. And it ends up in the, in the back of the net. Oh, well, it was nice that it was Shah that scored the own goal considering he was such a cunt throughout the game. Um, but um, yeah, it was, it was, but this is what Martinelli's been doing. I think he's another one, as much as we talk about Saka being a little bit unpredictable, Martinelli is as well, because he was, I think they were expecting him to shift it onto the right, most likely not do the move straight down to the line, but he, he's, he's becoming so dangerous and so potent for us on an attacking side. Um, do you and think he just keeps has, running. Do you think he's helped because it's so ugly when he runs with a ball? Like he's got an ugly running style with the ball. It almost looks like he's not in control, but he is. He's always in control. Yeah. But it's yeah. a weird running style with a ball. And I believe that comes from the Brazilian futsal stuff that he grew up playing. But it, it's a weird running style. It's, yeah, it, it is. And it, 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 you know, I think before he did lack a little bit of control. So you had that weird running style and a lack of control. So it's not a very good mix. But I think we, we're seeing now a lot more assurance in the way, a lot more. It's very direct. That's what I love about him. He's such a direct player. Saka's like that as well. Um, and it causes problems for these guys because he is someone who's now become more consistent with his goals as well. Um, his creativity um, and he's he's also just a hard-working guy. I mean, he comes back. The amount of time he tracks back to defend as well. There were moments in that game where he did that. Um, so all round, um, he's just one of those players that's just been absolutely brilliant for us, especially post the World Cup. And we just shut the game down after that. Like, I don't think once it went to 2-0, it was never one of them games where you're thinking, oh, God, if they get one... It just wasn't like that. We were just in control. In fact, I don't think they had another chance, Juz, until into injury time when your homeboy, Alan St. Maximan, came on, cut inside <laughs> and um, whipped that ball, which I'm pretty sure was going wide, but Ramsdale got his fingertips on it anyway. But I, they just didn't have another chance other than that. Yeah, that was we we were in control for the, the whole end chunk of the game. That was their best chance. And... Um... Man, I, I thought he just put it wide. I, it wasn't until the uh, the replay that I saw Ram still got a hand to it. But you're probably right. I think it was going wide the whole time, but still just another good save and just shows that uh, even in like a period of control, of us controlling the game, he's still alert and capable of making, you know, saves here and there. Um, I, I, I don't know why you don't like him so much. He He's an all right player. I just don't think he's got any in product. I think if you go and look at his games, it's he gets like three goals and two assists every every year. Like I said to you last week, just all fart and no poo. There's, <laughs> there's, there's just there's just nothing nothing about him at all. It's it, it's like Zaha until last year when I think he got seven penalties or something. But when <laughs> Zaha used to score four goals every season and then get linked with us, it's it's I don't know. It just baffles me. But I thought to a man, I thought we were uh, I thought we were brilliant. 
Sunday. Um, I don't know if you guys have got anything to anything to add to that, but I thought there were some standout performances, but there were no bad performances. I thought everyone was was really good. Pass. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I think I've got to give Arteta credit for this, really, um, because um, I feel that um, he's evolving. You see him evolving now over these last. Where so everyone was shouting for Kivior. Um, and, and uh, it, 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 there was always this holding issue, but you're never going to know how big an issue until you play him. He played holding, took the risk, put Kivior in. I don't, I, I, I disagree with those who think Kivior should have played earlier because I still think he was quite raw. We will dig into and, that in the second half a little bit. Okay, I agree with you. I think there's mitigating circumstances here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's do that. But I think just credit to him actually for uh, changing it up, taking what was was one of our best midfielders out and putting in Jorginho the last two games. Um, I, I, I think it's uh, it's great to see that he's willing to make the changes necessary if uh, people are on the performing, performing, whoever they are. And Jazz, no complaints about the subs this week. I know you would like to have seen Emil Smith-Rowe and I, I still think it should be a jailable offence to take off Martin Odegaard at any point unless he's injured. But um, but the subs, to be fair to Arteta, they did what they were designed to do, right? They came in, added more more control to a game that we were already in control of. Yeah, I think the the Tierney sub in particular um, was particularly good, particularly great timing, uh, just to kind of help us, you know, lock down that last little bit of control. And Tierney had a, a good game too. And uh, like like Paz said, being willing to like drop party and, and bring in Jorginho, because we both said on the last pod that we expected party to start, the physicality, you know, might be better. But I mean, Jorginho did really good and you know that's turned out to be a, a a nice little signing I thought he was excellent yesterday you know I've been critical of, of Jorginho plenty on this pod but I, none of that today because I thought he was I thought he was really excellent I really do and like I said I thought it was a great game all in I really enjoyed watching it I enjoyed the way we played and I think they all played their part in it so well I think we've we've done the game that's um I think we've covered that pretty well so we'll come back in part two. We've got some stuff to talk about. I'm gonna we're gonna chat a little bit about Kivior and should he have come in earlier. I want to talk a little bit about the the dark arts as as such because uh, I thought we did an excellent job of that yesterday. We can talk about whether we should have done it or not, but but I thought we did an excellent job of that and maybe look at a little bit of difference between uh, the team we put out yesterday and the team we played there just a year ago. So lads, we'll uh, see you back in the second half. Hey guys, just a couple of quick halftime announcements. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps us reach a wider audience and we thank you for your support. Also, don't forget to check out our socials. We are The NN Pod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We try and put out some cool content, so give us a like or a follow and help us build our Guna community. Welcome back to the Non-Negotiable Podcast. Guys, I want to start the second part by talking about the dark arts, the time-wasting, the players going down. We did this excellently on Sunday. I hate it when it's done against us. I love it when we do it. I think every football fan is basically the same. Um, Eddie Howe coming out and complaining afterwards was delicious. I I don't think I've ever seen anything... Funnier than Eddie Howe sitting there complaining about the amount of time we were taking over goal kicks while his team are actually officially 
the 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 longest getting the ball back in play. Um, has, we employed it here because it helped us win the game, obviously. But we did it while we were winning. Is that different from doing it when you're not winning, when you're at nil-nil and you have no intention of winning a game? I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess it depends on the team, isn't it? I think Newcastle going to us and getting a zero, nil-nil is a great result for them, even if they are um, state-funded. Um, but I... I um, I, I just don't see any problem with it. I think, it, again, it comes down to the referee, doesn't it? If the referee, if they want to take initiative on clamping this stuff out, then uh, feel free to do so. But until then, let's do it. We're, we're winning. We, I, I, I think we'd be hypercritical of the team if we went gung-ho and didn't do any of that and just try and... Um, uh, try and do it in it, play it clean and all of that when every other team isn't doing that. So I, I have no problem with it either way. Um, I, I just think it, it's up to the referees. They want to clamp down on this, then they can do that. But until then, yeah, we, we, I was no problem. I, 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 I actually welcome it from our end because I want us to be a bit like that. I want us to be a bit, you know, um, not have to have a little bit of the dark arts rather than just doing everything in a clean way. Um, which I think happened a little bit under Wenger towards the latter end, where we just didn't have that edge. Uh, I, I like the fact that we do. Our best teams have always had that pass, haven't they? I mean, I think it's noticeable that after the Invincibles, when we went through the Baron spell, I think we did have too many players who weren't capable of doing that. But if you look okay. at them, if you look at our teams that our teams that won stuff from the late 80s all the way through to the Invincible era, all our teams had a little bit of that about them. We, they all had some needle. They all had some players that knew gamesmanship, if you like. And we, we seem to be pretty clever at it because if I'm not mistaken, have we had a red card this season? Nope, not a single No. One. So that's a little bit of a difference from previous seasons where um, we've won the league but got a lot of red cards and uh, suspensions and uh, and stuff like that. But we seem to be able to like what I was saying about Shaka and how he was approaching the game and yet wasn't being messed around, um, but then doing it in a way which is not so obvious. Um, and uh, we, we, we kind of um, are starting to mature in that element uh, and not being penalized as much for it. So, you know, uh, I'm, 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 I'm all, but I, you, you, every, every championship winning team, you're right. Every team that has won the league since I've been alive, since you've been alive, has had an edge to it. Just is it as simple as we've just got cleverer players now? I mean, the days of David Luiz doing stupid shit and getting sent off, fortunately, are gone. And what we've got now is Ben White and Gabriel who do clever shit and don't get sent off. I mean, I think that plays a part. Yeah, a big part. Um, you know, I think, I mean, if you look at last year with how many red cards we got, it's almost like... Uh, they were like teething issues, if you will. Um, and now I feel like we've we've kind of perfected it. Uh, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it was something they they practice. Um, but yeah, we just seem to uh, be like right on that edge of it being like too much, but not quite. You know what I mean? It's it's really well done, and I think a, a lot of the players, you know, especially like Jacka, are just really good at it now. And I think the petulance has gone as well, because when you look at them red cards we had that Pass was talking about, 
there weren't many of them that were for two yellows. In fact, I can't even remember any that were two yellows other than the Martinelli ridiculous one at Wolves when he got he got two bookings for something that neither one were booking for. But beyond that, I can't really remember any two yellows. It was a lot of David Luiz dragging people down when they're through on goal. There was Xhaka putting his head on the Burnley player when he lost his head. There was Nketiah going in late, stretching, going for a ball against Leeds. I mean, that the petulance just seems to have gone out of our game a little bit. Just. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, not only that, but I think confidence plays a part now too. We seem... Um, we just overall seem more in control um, of, of games and, and like gamesmanship and stuff like that. And I, I think that that carries quite a bit. It's, it's almost like an attitude. You know what I mean? Yeah. Paz, do you think it's that a little bit of that as well, where we're not quite as on the edge all the time because we have got more control in games, because even last season when we could see the shoots of progression so clearly, but even then we still had a lot of games that were, on the edge. And I just don't feel like we've had that many of them this season. So there's been less, le- less reason to dive into tackles. There's been less reason for Shaka to put his head on a Burnley player. Possibly, possibly it's, it's, it's definitely, um, um, uh, feasible to think that uh, I think also we have a better quality of players, maybe a standard, um, has improved in terms of our players. I think a lot of the, the younger ones are a, a year old in, in experience, I think Shaka has learned a lot over the last few seasons in controlling himself. Management's influence on the players as well has now come to, you know, the standard he's setting. It's uh it's a standard which is slightly unforgiving because if you're not if you're not as he's shown, if you're not performing, it doesn't matter what your name is or who you are in the team, you're going to be out. So I think all of that has played a part as well. But yeah, absolutely we're um we're we we're, we're not in games where we're desperate or um having certain moments of backs against the wall. But I I just feel in general we look a lot more disciplined and just being a bit clever um and cheeky in the way that we play. Um and not letting things yesterday could have been a prime example for a red card for us, even though they were the team inciting it all, but it could have easily have been one. Um, but I, I, I saw a team which looks very controlled and together and um, knowing how to deal with those circumstances a lot better than perhaps we've seen before. And to that point, the team that we played at St. James's Park last year at the end when everything fell apart, if you look at that and you look mm-hmm. at this team now, so in that team was Tavares, El Nenny and Ketia. And Emil Smith Rowe, they started, and Tommy Asu, obviously, is out injured. The bench that game was Leno, Cedric, Zach Swanson, Charlie Patino, Martinelli, Mhand, Pepe, and Lacazette. So Tavares is on loan at Marseille. He's going to be gone in the summer. Leno's gone to Fulham. Cedric is on loan at Fulham, but will be out of the door as soon as that contract expires. Patino's on loan, and he's going in the summer. Pepe's on loan. We're probably going to end up having to subsidise a loan again him. Lacazette has gone. Swanson's gone. Umhand is gone. It's it's amazing just the difference in the squad from now from a year ago. When you when you look at that and you look at the amount of players that are out the door and the amount of players that have come into that first team squad. Yeah, it's a bit insane. Um I didn't even realize the turnover was was that serious until you know you're listing them out like that. Um We've done a great job with with uh, squad construction. Uh, I mean, 
Edu and Arteta deserve a lot of credit for that, I think. Um, you know, nobody's really, you know, like a troublesome player or like overly poor or anything like that. It, it, it's it's really well constructed and just, you know, put together. And I think we've got a just such a good core group of guys now. You know, it changes everything. And I think when we look at what has been done in such a short period of time, it, it does give you hope when we look at it and we go, oh, we're short here, we're short there. That's how much can be done in a short period of time if you've got people willing to push the boat out, which we are, and people that are that are brave with it. And I think that's that's definitely got to be a positive going into next season, right, Pass? Absolutely. And, and I think what bodes well is that, like you said, this is only a year ago. So if we can do that in a year... And now we have a summer coming up where we've got Champions League football. Maybe, who knows, we could be champions. But um, either either way, the, the, the revenue stream is going to be a lot higher. The quality is going to be a lot better. Um, you, can only, you can only think ahead and, and think um, how good we can be um, into next season. Um, because we seem to be doing all the right things management-wise. We seem to be doing all the right things recruitment-wise. Uh, contract wise um, so you know if that's the progress in a year where we finish fifth now we're second you can only be hopeful it can it, it just goes it just gets better absolutely and just that win we were talking about this last week as well that that win guarantees us second place we now that we can lose every game they can win every game we're going to be nailed on in second place but perhaps even bigger than that, I think the wins over Chelsea and Newcastle after that bad little run we had have just steadied the ship, right? We were talking about needing to put a positive spin on the season. Not that not that it needs a spin put on it, but we didn't want it to flail out but considering how good we've been. And I think this really gets us back on track and brings back the feel good, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've talked about this absolutely monster season, you know, no matter what happens. But the fact that we're still pushing City, we're not completely out of it yet. There's still a chance. I, I mean, it's huge. And that's really all we asked for, you know, was just to, to, to uh, you know, be good until the end, continue to push them. And I think, um, you know, going into the summer and going into next season, it, it, it can only be a positive thing and gives us, you know, kind of a higher caliber of, of player we can maybe attract, you know, because we're not just second. We we competed the entire time, you know, for the title. Yeah, I mean, we've got eighty-one points and eighty-three goals with with three games three games left. You can't argue with that. Yeah, it's it's massive, and I mean, you know, if we break the ninety goals, you know, it, before the end of the season, I mean, that's going to be huge. That's even that's quite a bit better than we even you know said we should target. So, I mean, just a great season all around, and it's really unfortunate that we have to go toe-to-toe with the, a club like City. So, Paz, we spoke about it a little bit in part one, and I've seen this question asked a lot. Is Arteta going to regret not bringing in Kivior earlier, say the Southampton game, for example? There are, I said, I think there's mitigating circumstances. I know you're kind of on board with me. So so give me what, give me your feelings on it. Perhaps Southampton, you could argue that. Um, because it it was Southampton. Um, I I don't think in the main um, uh, he should have done it because Kivio had um, had made a, made an appearance in the Europa League. He wasn't particularly impressive. 
Um, I think he even uh, had a few uh, had some games to Poland as well, and wasn't wasn't particularly impressive well, and he either. Had the, he had the sub appearance at Liverpool, and he, he sub appearance at Liverpool. I, I I kind of defend him on that one because I think he was trying to Rob Holding style, wasn't he? A three at the back, which maybe is more appropriate for Rob Holding than it is for him. It's not really uh, something he was just he was just brought into that, but. Yeah, you you know you're looking at a raw defender in the Premier League, um, and uh, I I don't blame Arteta for that. So you could maybe have an argument about Southampton, perhaps. Um, but um, I think what he's done is he's let him embedded him in slowly, um, not put him in straight away, and that's paid dividends for the games he has played in. So you could make an argument in that he did make the right choice because now he's the better player for it. Um, I think it's very simplistic just to say that um, I, I actually commend Arteta for this because it takes a it takes someone to realise maybe you know that right it's time to move this player out and put this player in or take Thomas Partey out because you could argue why did Partey play in the previous ones he was horrible in the in the games he played he should have maybe have been uh, more, there's more of an argument I would say of Thomas Partey being dropped than perhaps holding because um, Partey was woeful in the City game. He was bad in the Southampton game. He was bad in a lot of the games where we did not end up winning. So um, there's also perhaps that argument that would probably be a better placed argument than uh, Kivior, I would think. Um, but I, I actually commend Arteta on this. I think he's making, he's he's learning the he's learning it day by day and he's not scared to take crucial players out of the team, um, party being um, one of them, um, uh, in, in order for us, he feels to play better. And that's exactly what we've done the last two games. And just, I mean, I don't want to piss on anyone's chips, but TVO has been fine. Like, I don't, I don't think he's been great. I think he's been fine. He's, I think people go a bit over the top sometimes. And, you know, it's not Saliba there. Put it this way. Do you know his most past two player was on Sunday? I don't. It was Aaron Ramsdale. So, I, you know, it's not like we've got Saliba back there. It, it, it's just not. And I, but I do think he's been fine. And I think hindsight being twenty twenty, of course, Arteta would have put him in earlier because it all went wrong. Why wouldn't you do that? But is there an element as well, just in that the pressure's off now? And we've spoken about this before. We tend to do this when the pressure's off. We bounce back. Yeah, I agree with uh, with your stance on Kivior. Uh, I will say, though, you know, even though I don't think he's been like lights out or anything. He's been I good, think, though. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying he hasn't been good. He has been good. And you yeah, can of tell there's a player there. And he allows us to push further up because he's got that, a bit more pace. So it changes the way we play. So I do it. agree that he's better. I just want to calm it down a little bit. Yeah, that's it right there. I mean, you just said it. Uh, my point. He allows us to, I mean, you know, again, he's not Saliba, but he allows us to play our regular game closer than what Holding does. And I think maybe he allows Gabriel to move that little bit further to the left, which allows Zinchenko that little bit more freedom to move forwards. Yeah, I mean, basically, he's he's closer to Saliba than Holding is, and that, that helps the whole team, you know? Um I, I and think it would be also interesting to see, because we never saw it. I know Paz was saying about Partey, but we haven't seen Partey in this either. Because I think Zinchenko being able to come into that area, and Ben White as well being able to push into that area, really helps whoever we've got in that defensive midfield. And I do think Kivior is allowing both White and Zinchenko to push that little bit earlier. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it is really, um, you know, it's great that he was able to step in when he could because, you know, we were struggling a little bit uh, winless in a few and, uh, you know, it was, it was perfect timing. But uh, yeah, I agree. He definitely, um, he, he just kind of takes less or takes more pressure off the back line than holding did, you know? Um, and I think it's as simple as that. And I, I hope he continues to go from strength to strength. And Pass playing these last few games of the season, that's going to help him acclimatise, right? I mean, I don't think he's going to be starting next season, providing Big Willie's fit. It's, you know, we're going to go back to Saliba and Gabriel as the first choice. But at some point next season, Kiviori is going to be needed and it might even be for a run of games. And this has got help. Oh, 100%. And, and, and you know, the two games he played in, okay, it's debatable about Chelsea. They are pretty crap. But yeah, it's still Chelsea. Um, and um, Newcastle away. So, you know, if those are not going to prepare you, then um, then I don't know what doesn't. Um, I, I think he's going to be very important next year, um, next season, because you can see the dependency on Saliba and Gil- uh, Gabriel. Um, and you can see now what happens when a Rob Holding comes in. No disrespect again to Rob Holding, but what happens to our system, what happens to our play when someone like him comes in the team and you saw that I'm not blaming all of those results on him solely, but it has a ripple effect um, on all the players around him. And I think uh, what, what you'll see next season with the champions league is, you know, you're going to have back-to-back games where you're playing quality opponents. Then you have a league game. He's going to probably be important for that, for that part um, because now he can drop into Gabriel's position, which is really what he was there for, but you also have him as an option for Saliba. Um, so I, I think he's going to be really important to the team uh, next season in particular. I agree. And I think these these last few weeks are really going to stand us in good stead. Just, you know, just by bedding him in and, and getting used to it. Um, just another quick word on Martin Odegaard. I said that in the first half that he'd uh, he got to 15 goals, which is the most ever, um, well, tied with Kevin De Bruyne uh, for a midfielder not taking penalties. So, the premier attacking midfielder, goal-scoring midfielder of, um, of the Premier League era, um, would you guys uh, agree that I think most people see it as being Frank Lampard? Uh, yeah, midfielder, would, yeah. probably. Yeah. Do you know the too. most goals Frank Lampard got in a season, non-penalty goals? Is it 12, right? It is 12. Yeah. And Erdegaard hit 15. Yeah. So that just, you know, that just shows you something like what it is. I mean, we had this... Pass will tell you this, Just. This is a group that you're not in, so don't feel left out because you're not missing. It. <laughs> but um, there was a there's a Man United fan in there that I like to go head to head with every now and again. And uh, I said at the start of the year that Fernandez wasn't fit to lace Erdegaard's boots, and he really fought back. And I said, look, all you've got to do is watch the two play football. That's all you've got to do. Watch the way they strike a ball. Watch the way they move. Watch the way they pass. It's not difficult to see one is a world class footballer. And one's a bit of a clogger. Like, it's not hard to see that, really. And his comeback was, well, Erdegaard doesn't have the end product. He doesn't score goals. Well, no one's got that argument now, Pass. No, and I think you've got to save it till the season ends and and put in a a message just to re-emphasize that point. I might Um, make a graphic. I think you need to. (laughs) I think you need to because Odegaard has been one of our most influential players if not the most influential player in our team this season. Where are we in the league? Where are they? They are absolutely in free fall at the moment. And 
I, I, I've always thought he's a bit of a facade, Fernandez. He he can score goals. He scores a penalty, this and that. But I don't find him anywhere near as influential as Odegaard. Uh, and, and I don't find his quality as good as Odegaard's either. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I think that argument surely has to be put to bed after this season. And he's not as good to watch either, just is he? Because the way Odegaard moves, the way he passes. I mean, there was a bit in the first half where Xhaka got played in a little bit of trouble and he flipped the ball up and volleyed it out to Erdogan. He just whacked it across the field. And Erdogan brought it down and flicked it out to Saka. And it was one of them minutes where apparently on the UK TV broadcast, Gary Neville actually reacted to it with a with a gasp and a how did he do that? And I think on the American broadcast, it <laughs> kind of just slipped past. I don't think anyone really noticed what had happened. But Jazz, how good is he to watch? Yeah, I mean, he, he's great to watch. And, you know, of course, I'm biased. I guess we all are here. But I don't think there's there's very little comparison other than them playing in a, a similar position. Um, it just from like a leader leadership and mentality standpoint, I mean, Odegaard is so far clear, I think. You well, know, I said at the start of the season, the comparison for Odegaard isn't Fernandez; It's De Bruyne. Yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree with that. But but there is one criticism I have of Odegaard because I'm sure he didn't shake that mascot's hand in that <laughs> two minute snippet. <laughs> he should probably and, get a ban for that. Yeah, and and I think that that person that you were talking about has raised that as a particular issue. So, you know, I think you 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 might have to just 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 be careful what you say about comparisons because I'm sure Fernandez would have done something like that. Well, I think Odegaard <laughs> should probably, as captain, um, let the mascot take the next penalty. I, I 100% I agree with that. I think it has to be done. All right, so I guess we have to talk about this. We'd be remiss not to. So second is now is now sewn up. So the only place to look is up. And above us is that awful oil machine. They've drawn 1-1 tonight in Madrid, which I think is about as good a result as we could hope for. Everton got a massive result at the weekend at Brighton that I don't think anyone really saw coming. Um, has, oh, are we still holding out hope? I guess we, we kind of have to, really. What else is there to do? Yeah, I mean, it. it I, I, I've kind of, I'm at peace with it at the moment. I'm not getting too worked up about it or... Um, uh, or, or in any form of emotional turmoil about it because I... I think what what has most, and I think we all said this, what makes me proud about them is that they've come out, their response again after a City defeat has been very positive. It was the same when we lost to City at home. It's been very positive. It's been um, one where we're still fighting. And the fact that we're still there and potentially could get 90 points, which is better than the Invincible season, it's the same, uh, same as the invincible season. Oh, well, season. Well, I thought. But we've I blown know, past. The, we've blown past them for goals, though. I think they only got like seventy-eight goals or something. Yeah, I thought invincible was eighty-five or something. I don't know why I thought no, that. No, it it's um, ninety. It's ninety. Okay, so we're gonna equal. We could equal that, um, and and blow past them in goals. And that was the invincible season. S- tells you a lot about how good our season has been. So, as much as I really would love us to win the league. Um, the fact that we challenge and and at least keep the question open about whether City are going to win the league. Uh, you look at the running of fixtures now, 
yes, um, cities has been a more favorable, but I think the last remaining fixtures for city, I think three of them are away. So there's any hope we're going to have. We've got, I think forest away, Brighton at home and then wolves, right? So first is Brighton, then it's forest and then it's wolves two at home, one away. We have probably a more favorable run in now than they do. So you never know. You never know. But I, I, I still feel that it's, it's uh, it's theirs to lose, of course. Um, and I'm at peace with it, whether we win it or not. Well, I'm just trying to enjoy it again, basically. Like, I've enjoyed this season so much, and I'm just trying to continue continue enjoying it. I mean, we said last week, Juz, that we, we weren't even going to bother watching the City matches between now and the end of the season. And I think I'm, I'm sticking to that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean... Uh... One thing that's interesting from tonight is they had a hard-fought 1-1 and, and uh, Pep didn't make a single sub, so they kept the starting 11 on the pitch the whole time. And I, um, you know, that, I mean, that that may mean nothing, but I find it pretty interesting that, um, you know, there was no changes made at all. And I'm just looking at stuff like that, you know, with like any any edge we could uh, we could possibly get. But I'm, you know, I'm sure that kind of took a lot out of the, the starting 11, hopefully. And um and yeah, like what Paz said, I mean, I do, I think we have a, a easier remaining schedule. I mean, they have Brighton, well, we have Brighton too, but then that Brentford away game uh, is is a potential one too. But but yeah, I'm not going to do it to myself and, and, and watch him. You know, I'm fine just checking the score every now and then because uh, it can be painful when they're, you know, 2-0 up in the first 10 minutes or something. Yeah, and I'd just like to point out how freakish this actually is with with what we're up against, right? Because Napoli tied up Serie A, um, I believe Monday night, or was it Sunday? It was Sunday or Monday. But they've tied it up with 83 points. Barcelona have basically tied up La Liga. They're on 82 points. We're on 81 points. And we're, we're, four, we're basically four points behind. That's It's crazy, Pass. That's the world that we're living in right now in the Premier League. Yeah, and, and you compare it to what we were talking about, the Invincible season, and you compare it to previous seasons before that, it's it it, it it's scary. It's scary. I mean, uh, I it, it just not, it's not, for me, it's untenable. Uh, it's not going to, you, you can't let that continue because if City do win the league this season, um, <clears throat> I feel we're getting into a period of time where something has to be done. And I hope, I don't know what's going to come of this investigation, these charges that they've made against them or how that's going to materialize, but something has to be done because it's, it's just not fair. And now we we're kind of feeling what Liverpool felt where you, you really have to have superhuman season. I think Liverpool won the sea, won the league when COVID hit um, and kind of maybe worked in their favor uh, because of that. Um, but with with ourselves, we're playing in a regular season, all stadium, everything, um, a, a far lighter squad, um, having to manage it, having to make deals like Jorginho, having to make deals like Trossard, having to go in the market and really think out of the box in who we can get within a certain amount of uh, within a within a budget, having to get a Kivior, um, you know, bringing in Saliba. We're doing things that are really having to uh, that that are within our parameters 
nowhere near what City's parameters are. So I think it's pretty remarkable, um, not only uh, comparing it to uh, other clubs um, in their, their respective leagues, but also from previous leagues in the Premier League. Um, I think what we're achieving is 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 inc- is, is is beyond uh, wildest expectations this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Man United treble winning team in uh, in 1999. You know any points they got? Anyone have a guess? I know they beat us by a point, right? They they, us, they pipped us by a point. Um, I know when we won the season, it was seven. When we won in uh, ninety-seven, ninety, it was seventy-nine, right? Points. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to guess um, eighty-four, seventy-nine. So they United, won the same amount of points. So Man United's treble winning side, the the all-conquering one that gets voted as the best side ever a lot on the uh, Sky Sports polls, seventy-nine points. To me, that just tells you how warped this league is right now mm. because it is not natural to be on a 90-point pace scoring 90-odd goals and finish second. Just Yeah, it's, 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 it's shocking stuff, honestly. And, you know, it's just like a, a real shame that, like, we're having to compete with just this this basically otherworldly beast that is Manchester City. Um, and I think, I mean, we can't say it enough. I, mean, I think we're we're really proud of the team. It's 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 amazing what they've done. Um, I think Liverpool they had a, I think they had like a really clean bill of health too, right? That year they won. I think that's what it kind of comes down to. I really feel like if we were, you know, fit the whole time, lucky with injuries. Um, we might have done it, but yeah, if I remember correctly, they were crazy lucky with injuries. They had like I think all of their key players basically played thirty six games. You know, Robertson, yeah. Trent, Van Dyke, Salah, Allison. They 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 basically all played them games, and we've you know we've we've not been terrible with injuries this year. We've certainly been hit worse in the past, but we have had Zinchenko missing for a month. We had Jesus missing for four, four months. Um, yeah. We've had Saliba missing the last couple of months. And, and you're right. I think without without them, I think we we would have done it. And to be fair, Man City haven't had any injuries this year either. And really? I think that's you know that's a, that's a big thing too. I mean, I know Ake's been been out for a, for a minute here, but other than that, they've really not they've really not had anything. Yeah, so I think that's really you know where where they've been pretty fortunate as well, and we've been unfortunate. You know. Um, but yeah, I mean, pauses, right, too. There, there's there got to be something that's done. Um, I think one of the alluring things of the Premier League is always that, um, you know, a multitude of different teams can win it. And nobody wants it to turn into a one-team league any more than it already is, you know? Yeah, they've got, we were talking last week, they've got to do something about this. Because this, this if, if City go on and win this title, which looks likely now, this will be five from six. And, it, you know, it, it stops being a competition at that point. Now, I do think we can kick on and go again next year. But if we get to 90 points, I mean, you've got to go some to get more than that pass. I mean, you know, we've we've just said it. That's our best ever points tally. And we're the only side that's gone the entire season unbeaten. And, and you know, you put that Invincibles team with them same results in this league, they still don't win it. Yeah, that, that that's, that's a scary thought at the moment. You know, when Liverpool won the league, you, you have to... So they 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 were able to do incredible points of recruitment and and also bring in some young players and a, a good mix of that you know the Van Dyke signing the 
Allison signing, they brought in Trent, they brought in Robertson, um, and were able to also Salah, obviously, um, were able to 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 make some great purchases as well. That's the only way that you can compete against these guys having uh, uh, some form of recruitment or um, scouting system or bringing in young players to at least compete with them in the season. But you can't do that every season. There's going to be other co- competing clubs. Um, they're not going to be all as in... Then Man United are not, not going to be as in, inept forever. Uh, Chelsea, the same. There is going to be... Might. Some, I wouldn't. They, they might. They might do. could be. That. Yeah, they might do. <laughs> Ownership might stay the same. That's true. But but you, you, you'd think there would be some, uh, you know... Um, Evolvement or evolving within them, at Chelsea the same. So you know, there's going to be everyone going in for similar players, and uh, I, I, it's just a really, really difficult circumstance to be dealing for all other clubs, unless you're now a Newcastle or um, City themselves. So um, that something's got to be done about it. it, it it's just not fair at, at all. And let's end this on a high. So I don't know if you two have seen these reports or not, but the independence they reported that uh, Bukayo Saka's deal is basically done and they're expecting to make an announcement before the end of the season. So in the next couple of weeks. So Jaz, how big is that? Oh, it's massive. Um, you know, he's, I'd say he's kind of the, you know, the the talisman of the team, uh, hail end kid, uh, you know, England star, uh, it's it's huge, and we've really uh, lucked out with him. You know, it, like in this time period, having a, a a youth academy player be that good, and um, you know, we talked about being able to sign a higher quality of player coming up. I mean, retaining people like Saka, Martinelli, Saliba is is just as important in being an attractive, you know, an attractive position. So probably the 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 most important move we could get done is is getting that extension and in the same report it said that um they're expecting Saliba Ramsdale and I believe Ben White was the other one they said um wrapped up in the summer in another round of extensions and I would imagine Erdegaard will follow soon after that perhaps we just want to get these done and 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 get on with a summer business and let's look forward uh, absolutely, Saliba. I'm, I'm I'm more confident of than I, I was maybe before because I think, yeah, it sounds a bit weird this, but I think maybe his injury is not in that respect works better for us because it kind of uh, now with Kivio coming in doing what he's doing, maybe demands might be a bit more realistic perhaps for an agreement there and uh, perhaps the demand for him might be a little bit less. Um, but I, I I just think we're we're in a trajectory winning the league or not that is up. Um, so, and these players are, are fundamental to that. They, they're enjoying their football. Um, they're in a good place. They know their career is going in the right direction. Um, so, yeah, get them done early and then we can move on to get the, you know, Declan Rice's of this world into the club um, to make us even more of a, a unit for next season and a, a challenge to take on um, those doping pricks. Yeah, that's the that's the point. Now keep keep what we've got and, and keep building. So, well, thank you very much for tonight, lads. Uh, enjoyed it a lot, and uh, we'll be back towards the end of the week, and we'll preview the Brighton game. So, until then, good night. Cheers, Gav. Night.